Turn to Philippians, please, chapter 3. Yes, Philippians chapter 3, we did begin with verse 12 and we did say we were going to make verse 12 to 21 in a couple of verses. This will be the fourth part of the growing Christian. Um, so hopefully by the end of the year we should finish Philippians, uh, God willing. Um, but today we're in chapter 3 and we're going to look at the next few verses following from the last sermon. So read with me. Chapter 3, verse 17 first, and then 18 and 19 together. The Apostle Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Following last sermon where the Apostle Paul is calling the church, calling the Philippian church to follow godly examples, to observe those who are godly so that they can follow their pattern of life as they're making their way to the celestial city, we are also told in Scripture in many ways and shape and form as it is in here to be aware of those who are ungodly, who may have a bad influence in our lives, to avoid them. In fact, we are told to be aware of them and to avoid them. The Apostle Paul, if you recall, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. In many portions and many places of Scripture, you are also told about, we are told about false teachers who creep up. False teachers, false converts. For instance, Jude, who warns about these false teachers, says, For certain persons have crept unnoticed, those who were for long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into sensuousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And some would argue then, well, if I'm supposed to avoid ungodly people, why do we go door knocking? Why do we actually even bother? Because, I mean, doesn't the Scripture tell us to, to, to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and you would be right. But believers are not meant to blend in with unbelievers. They're not meant to let unbelievers and false teachers to have an impact in their lives. We are meant to stand out. But there's a bigger problem that the Apostle Paul here brings forth to us that we should be aware of and alarmed of. Because there's one thing that we can turn around and say, listen, don't listen to ungodly people or false teachers and I can name them for you if you like. Those who have $21 million jets, do you know who that is? And, and those who wear big earrings, you know who she is. And, and I can point them out to you and say there are false teachers outside and false converts who perhaps don't come to Saving Grace Bible Church. They belong to another church. But it, there is another bigger issue that Paul brings forth here is that these false Teachers, false converts, because it's not just teachers, are within the actual local church. That's the issue. That's, that's, what, that's the bigger problem. And so Paul is encouraging the believers to follow godly examples. And now he gives the reason as to why he says follow godly examples. Because there are those who are ungodly and that must be avoided. As we begin the text this morning, you'll see the Apostle Paul, he says that he's often warned them about this. Often. Why? It's important for us to know. Because the ungodly within a church, they will slow down your faith. They will shake your foundation. 
They will lead you to believe in false doctrine. Instead of building you up, they will put you down. It's not just about the Judaizers. Of course, we have seen that, that you know, in chapter 3, verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. That is the Judaizers, that is the false teachers. But here, Paul is talking a bit more about not just the false teachers, but those who live in an ungodly manner. Maybe false teachers, maybe false converts, false believers. This is crucial. It's very alarming, as we will see. And so picking up from last time, the Apostle Paul, he's encouraging the believers. Again, this is a whole section that Paul is encouraging the believers to run that race to, towards Christ, to behold Him for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's telling them, continue so that you may behold Christ. Observe those diligently who are walking in the ways of God so they may help you to run the race. And now he says, now recognize those those who are doing the opposite. Paul warns the congregation. These people may come and they speak sweetly to you, but they are not of the same batch. Uh, they may come and say we're lights. They might speak as angels, but they're not. They're the very embodiment of darkness themselves. Bible says, what does light have to do with darkness and what does Christ have to do with Baal? What does holiness have to do with wickedness? Brothers and sisters, this is a, this is a huge thing that we need to be aware of. And I know that by the grace of God, God has helped myself and brother Wes. There have been people who are no longer here who are actually trying to disrupt whatever the Lord was doing in His church. And God has removed them. False people, false converts. We need to be aware of this. And if we want to run the race towards Christ, we need to be aware of this. If we desire to be in Christ, to follow Him, to give Him glory, we need to be aware of this. So I want to give you just a reminder of a couple of verses um, on whom it is that we are following. Who are we following this morning? Who is it that we want to worship? Who is it that we're proclaiming? I'm just going to give you a couple of nice verses just to set the stage for us. Hebrews 1.3, speaking of Jesus. Who is it that we worship this morning? He Jesus, He's the radiance of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, and upholds all things by the power of His word. And when He made purifications of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the Jesus that we worship, love, and are aiming for and waiting for eagerly. Colossians 1.15 and 16, it says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created, both in, heavens, on, on, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or authority. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And God's people say, Amen. And if these verses are true, then what will we do as Christians so that we can bring glory to God? Whom will we choose to follow? We need to be vigilant. We need to be wise. So the title for this morning's sermon is, last, last time it was following godly examples. Now this one is avoid ungodly examples. And we have three things, of course, just so that we can just get a little bit of our heads around to remember it. One, Paul's warning against the ungodly examples. Two, Paul's expression against the ungodly examples. And three, Paul's assessment against the ungodly examples. So look with me in verse 18. And let's begin with the first point, Paul's warning against the ungodly examples. For many walk. 
for many walk. He has just finished telling the, the believers that the others, the, the believers, they walk. Pay attention to them because they are walking in a godly manner. And this is the reason why for, that word for means because. The reason I'm telling you to follow the godly people, it is because there are many bad examples. I'm telling you to follow godly examples because there are many you must avoid. Many that will lead you astray. astray. And many who are false believers, false teachers, false converts, avoid them. I, I'm not saying this. Read the text. And if it's true of that church, let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. It was a church that Paul established, and I will, we'll see that in a minute. I've often told you this. Ten years later, Paul is telling them the same thing. That's frightening. It's very, very frightening. Follow good example because there are many, many greater in number to be avoided. Many that are walking contrary to bearing fruit of righteousness. And here, these people, they don't have godly influence in believers, but they creep up with sweet and flattering words, leading astray, if possible, even the elect. They can talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. This is not just the Judaizers, but also false teachers and false converts and false believers. It says that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Evil workers, they are against the truth. They look like brothers, they talk like brothers, they pretend to be brothers, they call you brother, but they are not your brother. They are part of the physical church of Jesus Christ, but they do not belong to the spiritual body of Christ. And this is what Paul is saying here. If they do not follow the pattern that you have in us, Paul is saying, do not follow them. Such are these people. They are no good. And these people might have had some sort of influence perhaps in the church. And maybe they were just very good at speaking. People liked them. Maybe they had some sort of role in the church. They were dangerous, according to Paul. They were very, very dangerous. And it says they walk. This is the way of life. For them, this word means that their heart and their behavior revealed what they were like. Their way of the gospel was error. The way they lived their lives was a lie. They loved themselves. Their path was destruction. Avoid them, Paul is saying. Stay away from them. Perhaps they, they might have come along with believers and blend in with them and get alongside and talk with them. But they were not worshippers of God. They were not lovers of God. Nor did they really love the brethren. They may have professed Jesus Christ, but they did not possess Christ in their hearts. Paul says, for many walk of whom I've often told you. I've told you. Paul had already warned them in chapter 1 verse 28. And, and we can only understand this that Paul had warned them also whilst he was with them. And in other places the Apostle Paul says there will be many amongst you. Many amongst you are going to be false teachers. You know, wolves in sheep clothing. I've often told you about these people. You know what we can learn here, brothers and sisters? Here, I'm going to say it. There are two types of Christians. One who professes it and one who lives it. One who owns it and one who does not own it. One who was a true Christian and one who was a false Christian. This is what we learn from these verses. And Paul 
Here's something about this that struck me, struck me when I was reading this, that Paul's not scared to say this, though. He's not timid. So I love about Paul. He's so bold. He's got no issues saying these people are part of your community, <clears throat> and yet they don't belong to the community. If that, if that, you know, they don't belong there. He's got no issue saying they are not part of the body of Christ. And sometimes, of course, we're not, we're not the Holy Spirit, and we're not God, and we're not going to turn and say, well, he's a believer, he's not a believer, I don't think he's walking right, he's not walking, there's no... No, we are told to be aware that they don't lead us astray, that they don't lead us down the wrong path. But the Apostle Paul, in other places, he names people, the coppersmith and Demas. Sometimes we're just really, really conservative. And we're very, oh, maybe, you know, I want to encourage you to examine your own life. If you made a profession of faith some 10 years ago and your life is not matching the way you actually are supposed to match what the Scripture says, you must examine yourself if you're a Christian. You must, according to Scripture. Paul, he's courageous here, he's zealous for the truth, and he loves the body of Christ. And so he says, I have often told you and now tell you even weeping. I am weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. This is, by the way, is not a metaphor. Paul was weeping that these people within the church that were having a great influence, they could have an influence on the body of Christ and stop them from running the race that was set before them. Weeping. This speaks of lamenting, crying out, wailing. He is devastated. <clears throat> but you know what? Many commentators, and I would agree with them, Paul had two things here. One, he was devastated on the fact that these people, because we know the heart of Paul in many other places, and especially being in prison, he had a heart for the lost as well. So he's telling the church, be aware of them, but at the same time, he's broken over these people of their eternal estate. They're hellbound. And it was bringing Paul to tears, two tears. One for those who are lost within the church, who are claiming to be Christians, and the others for the believers who may not be influenced by them, that perhaps the believers will actually influence them instead. Believers, we should not be okay. We should not be okay with this. We should not be okay with hypocrisy and shallow faith with those who love the world, that have lustful eyes and prideful hearts. We should not be okay with this. This should concern us and move us to lead these people to Christ. Not be moved with them, but move them to Christ. They are heading for destruction and they're shaming the name of Christ, they will appear in judgment. We ought to weep. We ought to lament. We ought to wail. We ought to go in the closet of prayer for look around you. For many in this place, as the Scripture says, are not born again. That ought to cause us, parents, Brothers and sisters, to cry out for our children, to weep for our husbands and our wives and our friends and our neighbors who are in this church who are not yet born again. And you come in every week. One made a profession of Christianity 10 years ago and we see no fruit. The other made a profession five years ago, and there is no fruit. We ought to be a people of prayer and weeping and wailing that God would bring a true revival in the hearts of the unbeliever of Saving Grace Bible Church. Our hearts ought to be broken. It says many, not few, many are in the church who will claim, Lord, did I not? Lord, did I not? What will Jesus say to them? Get away from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. 
But Jesus was also compassionate. Was he not? Jesus was compassionate. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones, those who were sent to her. What does he say? How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. This ought to bring you, brothers and sisters, to tears. Not be moved away. Be aware of the unbeliever. Don't get tossed by them, but lead them to Christ. Pray for them. Pray that God will do a work in them and cause them to be born again. Week in, week out, you hear the gospel. Then get on your knees to God. Weep to God. It's only God that can cause a person to be born again. We cannot do it, brothers and sisters. Be aware of it. So Paul, he's devastated. He's devastated to see a church that he founded and 10 years later he's still warning them that there are people among them who are not saved. Why should we think any different than the Saving Grace Bible Church? So Paul continues in expressing these people and we'll move to the next point. Paul's expression against ungodly examples. Look at verse 18 again and it says, For many walk of whom I've often told you and now even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. This is their very character. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They may talk about Jesus. They may preach Jesus. But they don't believe in their hearts the full atoning work of the cross of Christ that makes them the enemy of Christ. They might understand it. And Paul is saying here the reason to have these godly examples in your life is because there are those who are false, who are lurking around the church. They may even be used as Satan's instruments to disrupt and to annoy the godly in this church. They creep up. We must understand this, beloved, that wherever there is truth, the truth of Christ proclaimed, error is ready at the door. Whenever the good seed of the word of God is planted, Satan is there and ready to snatch it away. Whenever the church is blessed with much wheat, much plantation, brothers and sisters, tears are not absent. Whenever there's a true believer, there is a false convert. Wherever there is a true teacher, there is an imposter in the shadows pretending to be a teacher. Wherever there is godliness, there is ungodliness of religiosity denying the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And they deny it by the way they live their lives. They can sweet talk you under the, ben the bench, but they are the enemies of God in the way they walk. Believers are called the friends of God, the bride of Christ, the very beloved of Christ's heart. But these people are the enemies of God. Listen, I had a blessed of an opportunity not long ago, as many of you know, to have a chat with a Muslim taxi driver. And he said, I am not an enemy of Christ. You know, the Muslims, we love Jesus. We respect Jesus. I said, my friend, Jesus is going to judge you. You are an enemy of Christ right now. You need to believe in the gospel. See, to him, he was not an enemy of Christ. To him, he believed he was born. Well, he didn't believe he was born again, but he believed he was a good person. 
You who are here today have heard this over and over again. Unless there is a new nature that takes place in you, unless something something has happened inside of you that is revealed externally, then maybe you're still an enemy of the cross of Christ. These people were not an enemy of a piece of wood. There was judgment. They were not against that. There are enemies of Christ who died and rose from the grave. Because at the cross, brothers and sisters, is where your sins are forgiven. At the cross is where the atonement takes place. At the cross with Jesus was the wrath of God poured out upon him is where eternal life comes. Salvation is sealed. They're not enemies of a piece of wood. They're the enemies of Jesus Christ. How many people do you know yourself that say, perhaps your child, perhaps your wife or your husband, it says, I've got no problem with Jesus. I've got no issue with Jesus. I believe in Jesus. But their lives prove there is no love of Jesus in them by default and makes that person whether a husband, a wife, or a child, or a neighbor who does not bear fruit of righteousness, it makes them an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. They're not born again. They're pretenders, false convert, imposters, living in sin, loving sin, loving the world as we will see, interested only for self. Christ is not their savior. The doctrine is false. In their own mind, they are the enemies of Christ. They're in the church, according to Paul, but Christ was not in their hearts. And this is the reason why Paul is saying you need godly influences, because think about it. If an unbeliever, a false convert, a pretender, who comes in the name of Christ, and he starts to have influence in your life. What's going to happen to your spiritual life? What's going to happen to you? You will start to decline. You will start to fall. You'll fall into sin. You slowly, slowly sit at the front. You will sit in the back. Slowly, slowly you walk out the door. I've heard, I've heard some horror, horror stuff from people who claiming to be born again. I don't want to be very graphic because some children, but I, I will because I, I know the children are taught in this church by their parents. I've heard from people who claim to be born again, it's okay for a couple to watch pornography. It's okay. What? It's healthy for you because God invented sex. I know another person who claims to be a Christian and had an affair on her husband and said, God wanted me to be happy. I ask you, is that person born again or an enemy of the cross of Christ who has absolutely no problem saying, God wants me to do this? Listen, beloved, if there are people like this in your life, either you lead them to Christ or you avoid them because they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Two choices you have. If you can't lead them to Christ, then avoid them because they can rub off on you. Because they come in the name of Christianity. And now with careful care and accuracy, the Apostle Paul, he begins. In fact, it, may I just say this? We are told in 1 Corinthians, for any brother, anyone who claims to be a brother, or a sister who lives that way. Maybe let me quickly turn there in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, verse 11. But I actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is immoral person or covetous or an adulterer, reviler or drunker or swindler not even to eat with such a person. If you th think that it's okay to have a 
So a person who claims to be a Christian and does these things and you are okay to hang around with them, you will be held responsible to God. Please, I beg of you, brothers and sisters, you either stay away from them or you lead them to Christ, to repentance. So that brings us to the third point. Paul's assessment against ungodly examples. Now look at verse 19. Let me read 18 first. For many walk of whom I've often told you, now even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now pay attention to what he says about these people whose end is destruction. Number one, whose God is their appetite. Number two, whose glory is in their shame. Number three, who set their mind on minds on earthly things. Whose end is destruction. That's the first thing. These people, they may come in the name of Jesus and hang around with the people of Jesus, but the way they live their lives, they are not making their way to the celestial city with you. Their end is destruction. They do not have salvation. They are false teachers, false converts, and their destiny is not pretty. It's destruction. The word there for end is an outcome. Something like a reward. Their outcome is this. We read in Romans chapter 6 verse 21, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. The outcome of those things is death. But for believers, we have a different outcome. Do we not? 1 Peter 1, 8-9 says, Though you have not seen him. I haven't seen Jesus yet. Have you? We have not seen him. You love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Their outcome is destruction. Now, this destruction here that they're facing, it's not just about the physical death or some sort of annihilation that many people want to believe, like the Jehovah's false witnesses like to say, that there is no hell. Or perhaps some in your family, I know I have family members that say that when you die, six foot under and lights out. In fact, I know someone who says that you are just Food for worms, right? That's not the destruction that this is talking about. The Apostle Paul has something to say about this in First Thessalonians. It says, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power. We can beautify and try to water this down and pretend that it doesn't exist, but the end of destruction is an everlasting, unceasing hell. The judgment of God will be poured out upon them. In fact, here's what Jesus said about the worms, if you must know. In that place, when Jesus was explaining to his disciples what hell was going to be like, and he looked at Gehenna, and he looked at them, and he says, it's going to be like this, where the worms do not die, and the fire is not quenched. You young men, young women, older men, and older women who are not saved, this will be your eternal home. End, destruction. You can try and put your your fingers in your ears while I'm preaching. It won't change this fact. You can try and ignore me while I'm preaching and look at your phones. It won't change this fact. You can try and make sure that you don't listen to this while you're thinking of food. It will not change this fact. Just professing to know Jesus Christ won't save you unless you're born again. They are the enemies of the cross of Christ and their torment will be everlasting misery. Paul's got no problem 
pointing them out. That's their end. Paul's loving concern for the purity of the church. He says, be aware of people like this. Their end is destruction. You are to lead them to Christ. Though don't be leader, led by them. They will face an eternal judgment. You know, I believe that wherever the Bible truth is preached, has to be, without a shadow of a doubt, someone is trying to disrupt it. And it wouldn't feel, it wouldn't be more joyful to Satan than this, than the unbelievers, those who are not born again, will lead those who are born again astray, away from Jesus, and make them useless for the kingdom of God. We need to be aware of this. Paul is saying, be aware. Have godly examples because these people, their end is destruction. And now he continues and he speaks about their very inner being. Look at what it says. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose God is their hunger, their stomach, their belly, their internal organs. This speaks of a person who is hungry and he must feed his body so that he can live. That's what this word's about. And maybe you're thinking, what is he saying? That the enemies of the cross of Christ are hungry people? Uh, I mean, is he saying that people that go to hell have full bellies? I mean, is he saying that those who are going to go to hell are never going to go to hell hungry? Or hell is full of fat people and there is no skinny people? Who go to hell? No. No, no. But this, this, this is figuratively, you know, Paul is using it as a figure of speech to bring something to light. He's saying that these people, they have a hunger and they feed it. Their hunger, their God, their sinful God is their hunger and they can't but feed it with earthly things. They feed their God. It's not just about gluttony, although gluttony is a sin, and maybe we can talk about it next time. But if we can use gluttony for a second and think about it, a person who is a glutton who desires to just eat, their focus is always on food. They can't wait to get the next McDonald's or the next Hungry Jacks. They can't wait to eat. They continuously focus on and their affection and desires are on that. Paul is saying that's the way these people are. Their affections, their emotions, all their inner being, their hunger is for everything else but God. And that proves that they're the enemies of God. They are not the children of God. And Paul uses this to say, that's their God. What does that mean? It means that a person who feeds their belly, they devote themselves to it cheerfully and heartfully, Heartly and worshipingly, that's their God. And means that whatever one loves and devotes himself to, with all his emotion, with all his appetite, wherever someone loves something or someone more supremely, more frequently, more firmly, more intently, that's your God. That's your God can be a person, can be a thing, and if that is your drive, if that's your appetite, if that's all you think about, your home, your mortgage, you name it, you fill in the blanks, whatever it is, then that's becoming your God. That's an appetite. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 18, For such men are slaves, not of our God, but of their own appetites of their own appetite their own bellies and by their smooth and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the unexpecting paul is saying avoid such people because the only person who is worthy to have all of your appetite to have all of your emotions all of your affections and all of your desires is Christ, no one else. 
It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Join me, Paul says, and avoid them. Why? We continue. He says, and whose glory is in their shame. They've got no shame. They're shameless. In fact, the very things that ought to bring them to shame, they're actually boasting in. Vain glory. We've looked at that before. They live with no shame. Instead of mourning, instead of repenting, they are bringing the Apostle Paul to mourn. Instead of saying, this truth is for me, no thank you. I don't need it. And they're not ashamed of it. They're proud. They're not pressing towards the upward call of God. The prize is not Christ for them. They are not striving to enter the narrow gate, but they're heading to the broad way of destruction of hell. And yet they're shameless. And these shameless people, unfortunately, can and do have an impact on the believers. They could easily lead the Philippians church, whom we know was a strong church. And if Paul is warning them, then we need to be aware of this. Paul then continues. What do these people look like? Look at the last part of this verse. Who set their minds on earthly things. I mean, I could do a whole sermon just on this alone. Who set their mind on earthly things. Think about it. When the Apostle Paul is penning this, some commentators are really loved what they said. You can almost feel, and I, I, I literally, I am visual, the Apostle Paul weeping and tears are dropping on this letter when he's thinking of people who are in this church, his beloved church that he loved, who are loving the world and not Jesus Christ. Instead of having their mind set on the things above, they got their mind set on the things of this earth. Instead of looking towards the celestial city, uh, they, they, they're looking for this is their city. This is their God. This is their heaven. They set their mind. That word said is continuous. In other words, they are continually, unashamedly living and loving for the things of this world with all their affection and with all their mind. And they've got their eyes fixed on them. The Apostle Paul says, you fix your eyes on godly people. These people have got their eyes on the things of the world. I'm not even going to tell you what those things of the world are because you've heard it every second sermon from here. So you can fill in the blanks. Because you need to examine what your heart motive is towards the world. We're, we're not saying clothing only. We're not saying this. You fill in the blanks. If it's driving you away from the things of God, then you must examine. Because the Apostle John says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. He wasn't saying we can't have cars, we can't have jobs, we can't have that. He's talking about wherever your affections and your drive, your emotions and your will is driven to stay away from them. Because they are not from God the Father, but they are from the world. So Paul is calling these believers, listen, Avoid those who set their minds on things of this world. I've already mentioned that to you. Have this attitude, have this mind that was in Christ Jesus. Although he was in the form of God, he did not found it a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. God emptied himself. That's the mind that I want you to have. You want to make it to the celestial city? You want to grow as a Christian? Then have this mindset. Don't worry about these unbelievers. At best, what you must do with these unbelievers, this false convert, is lead them to Christ on the right path. But your mind must be filled with the things of God. Whenever you're busy, fill your things, your mind with things of God, not the things of this world. This is what they're practicing. This is what they loved. They might have said Christ, but their minds were in the world. A brother sent me a sermon this week, and I sent it to someone else. 
But I'm going to just say something here that really, really, really struck me. R.C. Sproul preached the sermon, walking in a broad way. People who are heading for destruction. Because the, the gate is narrow that leads to life. And speaking of people like this, I have to quote him. We're talking big guns. Here's what Asis Sproul said. There are more people in the church who are headed for hell than to heaven, according to Scripture. That's frightening, isn't it? That there are more people in the local churches who are not born again than they're born again. That's alarming. That's very alarming. So, Paul says, be aware of these people. They can bring you down. So let me bring this as an application. What must we do as a little application? We need to continue in the truth of God. Study the truth of God. Defend the truth of God. Be zealous for the truth of God. Love the bride of God and live through the word of God that the bride of Christ may be sanctified. The error, the false converts, the bad company, all these people, I'll say it again, ought to bring us to weep. It ought to bring us to tears, to wail and to lament over their souls. Look around you. How many of us are actually truly born of God and we do not know. And I can say to you, I am not God. I'm sure you know that. But I can say to you that God says, God says, there are many who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Not few, but many. And as I said to you last time, then if your elders are setting a stage for you and they're being an example to you, as they see the scripture fit in doctrine and they are living their lives that way, then mimic them. Follow them. Then let me ask you something. What does the cross of Jesus Christ mean to you this morning? There's only one way, two ways to look at this. You are either a friend or a foe. You are either born of God or under the judgment of God. You are either a friend of Jesus or an enemy of the cross of Christ. J.C. Ryle said, take away the cross from the Bible and it is dark, is a dark book. Without Jesus, we are all damned. We are all headed for hell. For we all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it wasn't until God sent forth His Son to reconcile His people to Himself that made us who we are today. Please, I beg of you, you can come here week in and week out. You had a profession of faith 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Does your lifestyle match that? Do you live as a friend of Jesus or an enemy? You can do all the Bible studies you want. It still doesn't mean you're saved. You can come to church every Sunday. It still doesn't mean you're saved. You can listen to a message from Sam and Ralph every Sunday, every Tuesday, on Friday evening, on Wednesday night and Thursday morning. Unless you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're still an enemy of the cross. But why is this crucial 
to even believers because the enemies can lead you into the world we live in this world and the world the homes the cars the bikes the pcs the jackets the hair you name it all these things can be nothing but a distraction in your life that you may way make your way to the celestial city we are meant to be holy people holy set apart not blending in with unbelievers I'm going to leave you with a beautiful quote from Richard Baxter. He's become one of my favorite Puritans. Remember your ultimate purpose. And when you set yourself to your day's work or approach any activity in the world, let holiness to the Lord be written upon your hearts in all that you do. Amen. Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for your word. Your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, how easy it is for believers to not follow good godly examples and be led away, Lord God, even astray by those who are not godly. But Lord, may you move our hearts for those of us who are born again, that we will live a holy life, continue to follow the examples that are set before us, for godly men in the past and godly men within a body of Christ here at Saving Grace Bible Church, that we would encourage one another to run this wonderful race, that we may behold the face of Jesus Christ at the end. But Father, we pray that you will cause us to weep and to wail and to mourn for the lost souls of this church the lost souls who do not belong to Saving Grace Bible Church, the body, they're just here for the physical stuff. Oh Lord, we beg of you, only you can cause dead souls to come to life. Only you can make the dry bones, Lord God, be alive. Only you can cleanse a soul and give them a new heart. Oh, we beg of you, Father. We beg of you that the Spirit of God will move in His place. Everyone will bend the knee at Christ Jesus this day. Please, God, we beg of you. Oh, Lord, not for our sake. For your name's sake, act. Save people, God. Save souls in this place. We need your help, God. We need you to move. Thank you, Father.